Hi, my name is Halis. I'm a video producer and an editor. I decided to start this journey to learn about myself as a black American and how people of the African diaspora have influenced cities, states, countries, and continents. I figured it would be most fitting to start off in the city where I stay, Austin, Texas, and bring y'all along for the ride. This is where I stay, Austin. Austin is kind of an odd anomaly. As the capital of Texas, it's located towards the center of the state and is a popular destination for its many music and film festivals. Like many young people that migrate here, I moved to attend the University of Texas. Throughout my academia, I had a very narrow view of the city. I kept pretty close to the downtown area and campus. Post-graduation, I slowly broadened my view of the city and have now called Austin home for the last eight years or so. I decided to meet with LaToya Devizen, the Travis County Archivist, to talk about Austin's black history. So my job is um, a combination of things. I collect, preserve, make available here for research, and teach about African-American history in Travis County. The History Center works by community donations, so it's about the history that people tell me. That's why my title is African-American Community Archivist. Ah. This is kind of what you would call a participatory archive, and that means that the community has an active role in us telling the stories that they would like us to tell. Um, I think people don't quite realize how extensive the black history here is. The black history in Austin is very rich, um, but one thing I've noticed about my work here at the um, Austin History Center is that African-American history here is, has gaps. There are so many things that we don't know about um, African-American history in Travis County and so many stories that need to be told that we don't have the information for. It's interesting to see Austin as I see it today, a city that is increasingly outgrowing its infrastructure, with thousands of people moving here a day for the promises of new industry and what is arguably one of the last, most liberal-minded cities in the state. It is still a city with problems, grappling with a shrinking African-American demographic that historically was actually pretty vast and contributed to Austin's overall economy and history. After emancipation and Juneteenth, freed slaves settled all over Austin, forming small but strong communities. So it's kind of like a safety's in number sort of thing. Mm. You have to remember they were living under Jim Crow laws. And so by living together in a space, you could be safer. And so that was one of the reasons why you saw those freedmen communities spring up. So we have people in South Austin like Kitchenville and East Austin and Robertson Hill, Pleasant Hill, Clarksville and Wheatville. Those were all prominent African-American communities um, at that time. So the African-American population was kind of spread out all over the city rather than what I think most people know about Austin today, which is that it's spread, it's mostly congregated, or at least it was, to the east side. That happened in 1928 with an engineering plan from the Planning Commission with um, Coke and Fowler engineers. So let's talk about Coke and Fowler. They were commissioned by the city in 1928 to help with rezoning. Essentially, the powers that be didn't like that its African-American population was spread across the city. Which makes sense. It's a lot harder to enforce Jim Crow when everyone you want to segregate and marginalize is dispersed. By creating a Negro district, what that meant was cutting off resources to the other communities in the area to make that area more desirable. 
Okay. So that happened through redlining, which was a process that happened with African Americans and Mexican Americans where you may not get utilities or something like that cut on for your street, where your neighbors might have electricity. So your after a while, neighbors. your white neighbors. Okay. If you happen to be in a neighborhood where they didn't want you. Um, and so that would kind of force you to kind of maybe move somewhere else. And so that was kind of a tactic to move. Um, also, Clarksville, if you look at there are some documentaries from the 70s when Mopac first was being built. Um, and you'll see that Clarksville had dirt roads. There were no paved roads in Clarksville or Wheatville. So they like purposely didn't, uh, um, how would you say, like develop the area, I guess? Pretty much. And also you'll see um, examples if you look in the archives and look through history where trash wasn't picked up. If you look in city council minutes and different things. Um, and uh, there were no sanitation issues. The area was very unsafe and unclean. And so if you look at trash being dumped in your street from the city of Austin, but it's being dumped in your yard, you know what happens in history um, with trash. We had the bubonic plague, all these different diseases that happened because of unsanitary conditions. Yeah. And so that was something that was happening in those areas as well, where people were sick, um, you know, just dealing with different issues because of these unsanitary conditions. As the city was coming to uh, make people leave their homes, they didn't know ahead of time. You mm -hmm. might get a notice maybe like a month before or something like that that you have to leave your home. Oh. That your you know, that was built by your slave ancestors, your enslaved ancestors. So I mean that that's if you think about that history, yes. you had these back and board homes that were built by former slaves and you know, that that house had been in your family for years and so you had to leave. And not only that they were paying the families maybe forty five hundred dollars at the most because they paid them what they felt the home was worth. But at, even at that time, you still couldn't move and buy a home in Austin for that price. It's still, they still were struggling. And so that, a lot of the community dispersed that way. And all of this was a way to get people to essentially move to a specific part of the area that they wanted. Yeah, so they put a pool in East Austin. East Austin had paved streets, lights, um, rec centers, everything that an African-American person would find desirable at that time. So why not move to East Austin? So yeah, the 1928 plan was pretty ridiculous, but from that bigotry sprouted a blossoming community. East Austin became a beacon for black excellence. Anderson High School was an exemplary school, bringing some of the best educators in the state and the nation to its halls. East Austin gained an NAACP chapter. The segregation created a space for safe black home ownership. Black-owned businesses flourished, and a for-us-bias mentality created a true sense of community through partnership. Well, a lot of people don't know that 6th Street was actually an African-American business district. Yeah. That same place that has become a college student's rite of passage at 21. I know. It's crazy. People who are Wagoneers and uh, you had people making horseshoes and blacksmiths and there was a hat shop and grocery stores. Just so many different things right in that area. And it was just um, heartbreaking to kind of see those businesses um, disappear. disappear. Yeah. yeah.
So it's clear that Austin has a thriving and diverse black community. On the next episode, I hope to dive deeper and see who were some of the major players in the city's history and how they affected and still affect the city and state today.